Howard a dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Fan Podcast. Today we're going to recap and review The Passenger, directed by Frederick E. O. Toy and written by Jonathan Norlin and Lisa Joy. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. There were so many times in this episode where I was like, wow, this is the last episode of Westworld, and they tricked us and made us thought it was going to go for four seasons, and they're just going to surprise us by having this be the end. Well played, Nolan and Joy. Right, it felt like an hour and a half movie that if they had, like, canceled the season and were like, okay, but so the last episode is the movie that will give you an hour and a half, and you can just close out the whole story and until you got to the end and they were like oh we are gonna leave you some cliffhangers we're not insane but until you got there you're like this is wrapping up quite nicely there was a lot of buzz on the internet about this episode i think it might be a little bit divisive actually again the same thing with season one i'm like what where do they possibly go from here The opinions on this episode sort of echo the opinions on the entire season. There is a group of people who don't like the whole season. They found it confusing, even more confusing than season one was, and they couldn't fathom how that could have happened. And for us, whom are a part of a group of people, like the top maybe 5 or 10% who watch the show to a point that it's diligent, to a point where like we take notes and stuff... And sometimes we even get it th- stuff wrong. In fact, we get stuff wrong almost all the time. For those groups of people, this episode was something different because when you were watching it, you were picking up on things that were from season one and they were callbacks and they were Easter eggs. And the the weaving of this story is so intense that if you really, really pay attention, it can work magic for you. And it better, because these are the only two seasons we have for a long time, with Westworld probably not coming back until 2020. Yeah, I hope that HBO does not start a new trend in television where we do two-year seasons now. That would piss me off. It would, and it would also stand to reason that season three probably has to be a little cheaper than season two was, because HBO makes money off of new subscriptions, and Westworld is... Just living in reality, it's not bringing in as many as Game of Thrones does or has or probably will when Season 8 comes out. So they'll probably get a smaller budget. They need two years to figure out this gigantic world that they've created and how they want to deal with it for probably, maybe, and this is unconfirmed, but probably less money. Yeah, well, to be honest... I think they're going to need a long time to write this anyways because they wrapped so much stuff up and in a satisfying way too, just not in a way that I expected to the point where this, they could probably end the show here or not, depending on how you feel about that end credit sequence, but we'll talk about that. Right. That will be a part of the spoiler section, or at least we'll try as hard as we can to put things that are spoilery in the spoilery section with all the theories and the things. But there was enough actual, like, things that became real and, and, and questions that were answered and, and, and answers to, like, 
questions we weren't asking, like if specific people were not the robot person that they said they were. Oh, boy. So I think I talked to you about this. As I was watching this, I was like, I don't know how James is ever, ever, ever going to put this in a way that is, like, actually easy to understand, like, how you're going to structure this. And then you said, like, yeah, we just, we're probably not gonna, we can't. Yeah, we're gonna run through this episode exactly the way they did, which we haven't done all season, uh, but we did do last season, and... This kind of episode, I think it's going to work fine because this was basically one big story with just a few jumps between the Bernard timelines. Let's try to break this thing down. Let's crack it like an egg, James. The episode begins with what we think is a flashback of Dolores interviewing Bernard for fidelity. She notices Bernard has too many imperfections to truly be Arnold and thinks that maybe he should just be changed. After all, he didn't make it, she says. They begin the trial again. She's, of course, referring to how Arnold eventually killed himself, so he had a pension for ending his own life. Not exactly what Dolores wants from her version of Bernard right now. As you kind of implied there, we believe this is a flashback, but as we learn this episode, it's not. It's in the future. It's Dolores, and after she gets out of the park, and this has happened, you know, 10,000-ish, 11,000-ish times, and she's just, like, doing what she did the first time when she made Bernie, but again. Man, Dolores is a trooper, man. She, uh, (laughs) she doesn't mind just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Over 11,000 times she's making Bernarnold, or at least her version of Bernarnold, who won't kill himself this time, in the basement of Arnold's house in China. In the more recent timeline, not quite the present, Bernard reaches the valley beyond, alone in his little doom buggy, and he spies the ghost nation and their hostages arriving as well. Dolores wakes up, having been sleeping next to a dead teddy. She's removed his control unit, which looks like it's unharmed. She brushes it off a little bit. Looks like the bullet came close. Just like kind of like Bernie in season one, it grazed his cortical ball, but it did not destroy it. So she now has in her pocket the brains of her lover and her father. These cortical balls, man, they're they're really fucking tough. Take a bullet straight to the dome and they're fine. Seriously, I don't know what they're made. Probably adamantium with the X-Men references that this show is calling upon itself. But yeah, she's she's just collecting them like Dragon Balls to to use at, the, at a later time. She does, however, take the flattened bullet that she found pressed up against it and pockets that as well. Just like Teddy picked up the bullet when he was in Sweetwater right before he maliciously shot that guard in the face to sh- to prove that he was different now Dolores is thinking about the future and what this bullet could be used for meanwhile Charlotte Hale and the security forces are following zombie Clementine into battle okay so zombie Clementine is amazing right yeah and now with her newfound powers to to she's, night she's a, bit of a, a, a double zombie now isn't she she's like a zombie warlord uh, uh, she's a Night King. You could you could call Clementine Pennyfeather best name Night King. At this point, it's 
it's like the beginning of a really dope rap. Back in the labs, Maeve is about to be dissected by the tech, and he wakes her up first because he's a creepy sadist and wants to hurt the hosts as he operates on them, I guess. So, like, there's never been a person on screen who I knew was going to die more. Yeah, for sure. You're dead as fuck. I mean, he... Apparently the writers didn't think like, well, he can't just die for doing his job. We got to make him an asshole. Right. They're making us hate him so that when he dies, we feel a sense of relief, which to be fair, I did. (laughs) There's a great YouTube video where there's a gazelle being torn apart by lions and the narrator's like, I watched this nature video, but I felt too bad for the gazelle. Then I used After Effects to put a swastika on the gazelle. Now I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think this tech needed a swastika or anything of that sort to put on Maeve to hate her as much as he did. But, you know, if you're around Maeve and you're a human being and you want to cut into her, there's just like a really good chance you gon' get stabbed. The rest of Team Maeve, Hector, Armistice... Felix, Sylvester, and Hanario, Japanese armistice, arrive to try to rescue Maeve, and they run into Lee. Hector calls him a traitor and chokes him a little bit and throws him down on the ground and tells him to stay here and die, and then uh, Lee just, like, casually joins them anyway. When we were talking to Ptolemy Slocum earlier in the season before it started, he mentioned that they shot episode 10, like, season 2, episode 10 things first. Like, his first Hmm. day of shooting was episode 10, so it was probably these kinds of scenes where they're just running through corridors, and this is what they started with. Using her powers, Maeve controls several bison to burst out of the labs and kill the remaining members of the security team at the Mesa, and, like, the one bison crashes into the dude and sends him flying off the balcony. To prove a few things, number one, she don't need no man to save her. She is immortal, basically. Well, kind of. Sort of, not actually, but a little bit. And she is Professor X, so this superhero don't need no saving. Plus, this is the shot from the Super Bowl commercial. Like, we saw this shot back when the Super Bowl aired. A.K.A. a long time ago. Yeah, I'm still pretty bitter about that Super Bowl, by the way. Listen, that sports team made the sports <laughs> pass, and then the goal points? What are you going to do? Yeah, are you excited for the World Cup? Go America! I have I have terrible news for you, James. America <laughs> didn't make the World Cup. Hey, is Japan in the World Cup? Japan's in the World Cup, and they're doing great. They won the first two games. Go Japan! I'm rooting for Mexico, though. No, you know, I'm just rooting for America. America, America's going to swoop in in the final game and just win. What is your reason to root for Mexico? Because they're America's neighbor. Canada's, I don't think Canada's there, are they? I don't think Canada knows what soccer is. They're like, is that some kind of non-ice form of hockey? Can I smash them? No. I don't think so. A... Dolores comes across the man in black, still digging into his arm from last episode. She takes his gun. They exchange their sad stories of loss. And Dolores realizes that they have the same destination and basic goal. 
of getting to the forge and messing with stuff. And so she enlists his help, and he agrees. A duo for the ages. It's like, hey, we're not so different, you and I. We both make the people we love kill themselves. And also, in this moment, our values are aligned. So, let us ride together into the nothingness. On the way, the two of them discuss basically every other character's motivations. The Ghost Nation want to control their own destiny. The Man in Black wants answers. And then both he and Dolores kind of want to destroy the forge so they can burn the bridge behind them. We're not so different, you and I. And at this point, you know, we still don't know what the man in black found in his arm. We don't know if he's a robot or not. We get that answer this episode, which is amazing. Bernard attempts to access the elevator, which will lead him to the forge, but he gets stopped by some security members. But those security members are immediately killed by William and Dolores. Back together again. The worst guards on Earth? You mean them? Yeah, graduates of Ashley Stubbs Academy. Aww. He was just doing his quality assurance job, James. And also, he gets a moment at the end of this, so don't naysay. Dolores reveals that she helped create a perfect replica of Arnold, but he was still super suicidal, so she had to change him enough to create a new identity, which became Bernard. Run it again! Until he doesn't want to kill himself anymore. Because that's lame. After I put a lot of work in, he just keeps shooting himself. A real bummer. Having found his goal, the man in black starts firing his gun at Dolores. And she doesn't care. She's laughing at him, basically. As as he shoots her, like the Terminator. Until he reaches a busted bullet, which jams his gun and backfires. And messes up his hand. And it was the same flattened bullet that... Dolores had got from Teddy's brain. Dolores is playing 3D chess that she learned from her dad, Dr. Ford, doing weird bullet stuff like Teddy did and making her day happen and making, you know, her revolution happen one flat bullet at a time. Two weeks later in the present, quote unquote, Strand takes Bernard across the lake to the forge against Stubbs' protest. Stubbs is like, hey, your guys are just going to fuck with Bernard and kill him, and that's wrong. He, like, stands up for himself, finally. As they arrive, Strand orders his men to prepare to send everything straight to Delos as soon as they get in. During this scene, or at the beginning of this scene, Bernie has a few flashes that, like, port him into it, where he sees the valley full of hosts, he sees Peter, Peter's brain, Carl Strand, and Charlotte Hale torturing him, question mark? That's a teaser. Back in the past, Dolores and Bernard take the elevator down to the forge where they see some featureless drones busy at work. Uh, We're switching now between realities in the other timeline. Strand and Charlotte and, and Bernard find Dolores dead on the floor and conclude that it must have been her that flooded the valley. Convenient, isn't it? Although, to be fair, that was like her entire goal. Minus the part where she's dead. Strand demands to know where Peter Abernathy's core is, and Bernard says that he just doesn't know, and he's actually telling the truth. He did this to himself, James. He done did got scrambled. Back in the past, Dolores tells Bernard that the Forge is a portal to a new land, the way the Ghost Nation thinks, but what she's more interested in is humanity's downfall. They enter the Forge together. They enter the Matrix, basically, like Bernard had done earlier. 
They wake up in a digital version of the park where they find it's running like a multiple profile program on James Delos, basically acting out all the different stuff he might have done in the park based on his cognitive profile. To open up the forge, Dolores puts Peter Abernathy's brain ball because it has the encryption key. That's what she is currently using to roam herself around inside the forge. As she enters the saloon, Clementine Fanny for the best name is the maiden on call. She is basically doing Maeve's job. And James Delos is in there as well. And as you said, they're just running the simulation for James Delos over and over again, trying to get back to exactly what he did in the park the first time he came for fidelity. They somehow make their way to the Delos estate just because they're basically like eternal sunshining inside James Delos' brain. It was a recreation of Arnold's house pulled from Delos' memories and the system recreated it. I don't know. When they said that line, I was like, okay, well, whatever you want to say to us. They run into Logan, who has been built up through James Delos's memory. He is a physical representation of the Forge's control system, and I thought that was lame. Well, he's kind of playing the architect, right? He's, I mean, he's an amalgamation of memories, and it was a way to bring Ben Barnes back in a major way, and he's just playing... He's playing Jarvis, like, before he's pulled out of the machine. So, I, I like Ben Barnes. I, I liked seeing him, and, you know, if if it wasn't him, it would have been someone else who we didn't even know, and so I'm fine with it. It, just, it reminds me, if anybody's seen, you know, that really old Jodie Foster movie, Contact, where she finally makes contact with the aliens, and they're like, we aliens are too spooky in real life, and so we have to appear before you as another character that you already met. Seems like an easy way out. As the Forge analyzed more and more human minds, it became really interested with human motivations before realizing that they're basically arbitrary. To prove this, he shows them one copy of James Delos saying that his greatest joy in life is his son, and then showing them another memory of the real James Delos, basically turning his back on Logan once he had hit rock bottom and needed his dad the most. This being the cornerstone moment of James Delos's life, the one he will return to in almost every every time that they recreate him, he returns to this moment, the moment in which he knew he failed his son Logan. As they're walking there in the hallway, there are also recreations from the first season, like recreations of Felix standing with Maeve and recreations of Maeve being held back after and watching in the Mesa her friends and robots die, and also the scene where Elsie and Bernard are, are sitting with Clementine Penny for the best name, thinking about what the reveries are perhaps doing and why she's gone insane. So, James Delos's memories are in here, but other memories are also inhabiting this space. The forged Logan man claims that the human psyche is super easy to replicate. It's nothing more than a simple code, a code more simple than that that the hosts possess which he represents physically with a book, which has James Delos' name on the binding. And Dolores is not interested in James Delos. She wants to see everyone else's. Probably, and more specifically, her direct enemies, Charlotte Hale and Carl Strand. This scene is inferring that human beings don't have free will and are simpler than they believe they are. Their ego is 
being stripped clean. They can be just turned into a book filled with player piano markings. That's what the markings are inside the books. Everyone in those books, all four million of them, everyone who's ever been to the park and been scanned by those hats, like Ford said, has literally become music. We see Team Maeve on their way to the forge, but they get attacked by a security team. Don't worry, James. They're the worst at their jobs. I'm sure they won't really get in the way all that... Oh, no. (laughs) Back in the forge, uh, we see that copies of all the guests are kept in a giant library, which the forge says Bernard commissioned the creation of, and that he's ordered all this info compiled so that the hosts may come to understand humans well enough to defeat them in a war. So Bernie's been here hundreds and hundreds of times, it seems, that he doesn't remember because he scrambled his own memory. And he's been in charge of this the whole time, which I guess infers that really Ford was in charge of it the whole time, right? Because Ford was in charge of Bernie, or was it inferred that Bernie was doing all of these things outside of Ford's control? The Ghost Nation arrives at the forge, and they resolve themselves to reach the door or die trying. Aki's second-in-command is like, well, what if it's not there? What if we go down there and we just die for nothing? And Aki's like, well, that'll suck, but at least it'll be our own story now. And then they hold hands, and it's very cute. Team Maeve is totally pinned down. Hector is about to do his, like, sacrifice himself and save everyone bit. When Lee stops him, and he's like, this time I'm going to do it myself. And I'm going to deliver your epic speech. Um. Okay. So. Lee Sizemore here. Finally gets to say the speech that we got heard. And kind of half of it. And then got cut off because of those stupid. People who came in episode one. During you know Hector trying to. Steal the things from Sweetwater. Lee decides that. Hector will be more valuable to Maeve in the future, and that he should be the one to sacrifice himself here. Uh, but it feels like it was completely unnecessary, didn't have to happen at all, and Lee died for nothing, huh? They got Felix and Sylvester there, who could just pick Hector back up if he got killed. But you can't do that with Lee. But we do know that every employee of the park has a cognitive profile just as the guests do, so I mean, Lee could come back as a host right anyone whose body is left in the park and has and has perhaps been copied into one of those books can probably be brought back but lee his human base body just like emily's is dead rip lee we saw your dong dude and now you're deceased (laughs) the forge reveals that aside from cataloging human psyches it also does contain a passageway to a digital paradise, a robot heaven, which Bernard built for the hosts and is called the Sublime. Right, or the Valley of the Great Beyond. The Valley being the actual place that they are, plus another name for the Eden that Bernard has created for the host to go to, giving them a real choice. The choice of go to heaven, slash Eden, slash whatever you want to call it, Go through the door, the door Aki has been searching for this whole time and knew was there. Or, as Dolores will probably choose because she doesn't want that, she wants revolution, the other way, which is getting out of here. I gotta say, I'm not into all of, like, the old-timey words they keep using 
like fidelity, sublime, splendor. A lot of these words just like don't hit my ear that well. You know what it might be? It's just fatigue because they're throwing these terms at us like forge, cradle, value of the great beyond, sublime. Like it, it would have been easier if they had gotten out a whiteboard and be like, hey, let's just call them three things. And no, they were like, nah, nah, nah. Let's just give them different names. People, different people call them different things. Let's just, <laughs> let's just keep throwing it at the audience while we're also throwing them five different timelines. A giant rift in like space time opens above the forge and only the hosts can see it. The Ghost Nation and Team Maeve approach it enthusiastically. Sylvester and Felix have no idea what's going on. Sylvester actually says like, what door? What door? What I, Does he actually say what fucking door? I think it's actually the best. Well, it's definitely the best Sylvester line of the season. And it's definitely top five lines for me of the entire season. Like, wh- he is now Bernie. Wh- what door are you talking about? The hosts begin to pass through the door. What happens is they walk into the rift and their body falls dead. But their mind is transferred into the sublime where they continue to live on. All those dead bodies that are sitting in that pile that fall off the cliff as their consciousnesses are copied into Eden, Sublime, Valley Beyond, Forge Place, are just laying there. And eventually, when the valley floats, I mean, fills with water, they float in the valley with the water. Hence the beginning of this episode slash season. Dolores denounces the Sublime as just another fake world created to control them. She decides to destroy it and force all the hosts to join her in taking on the real human world. She smashes the console in front of her and an alarm starts going off and the forge begins to flood. She's going to murder the ghost nation and I hate her. Team Maeve is searching for Maeve's daughter but they can't find her. While they're still looking, Charlotte arrives with Elsie and zombie Clementine. As Clementine rides past hosts on a pale horse, Bible references, they all begin killing one another. Armistice is forced to bring Clementine down, but it doesn't stop, I guess, her telepathic orders, and everyone still keeps killing themselves. Hector implores Maeve to find their daughter as soon as possible. Who needs four horsemen when you only got, or need one? (laughs) And, yeah, Armistice hits her twice, but... Because of the mesh network, and as we've seen, Maeve can be any amount of feet away and, and be affecting people eventually. Even with her dead on the ground, Zombie Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, is still affecting these hosts. But also, she's dead. She's down. We thought we lost Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, once, and this is now the second time she's down. She might not be coming back this time. We see the man in black get up from his hand wound and drag himself into the forge. Bernard tells Dolores that he won't allow her to continue to kill people. She accuses him of caring more about humans than he does his own people, and that he just needs to trust her leadership. Bernard unholsters a gun and levels it at her head. She tries to talk him out of it, but he's made up his mind and he shoots her point blank. Something the man in black could have taken advice from aim for the head dude if you keep shooting her in the chest she won't care but if you shoot her in the head well to be fair he was trying to shoot her in the head with that last bullet that she knew wasn't going to work but bernie takes no chances 
and he clips her in the dome. Yeah, if you shoot Dolores in the body, nothing happens. You shoot Clementine in the body, it's over. But Dolores is special, all right? Listen, sometimes you have to shoot superheroes more times than other people to make them be dead. There was a great line in here. Dolores is like, you know, this is this is our dream, Bernard, and we have to make it come true. And I love, I thought this was Bernard's best line of the season. He's like, it's not a dream. It's a fucking nightmare. It is. It was a nightmare. And I agree with you. It's Bernie's best line of the season, probably of the show up to this point. Like that was his, I thought of a story where I'm not a damsel line. Yeah, but this time actually good. (laughs) The Ghost Nation have nearly all made it into the sublime. When Maeve finally sees her daughter towards the front of the line, she uses her powers to protect everyone by freezing the hosts that have gone berserk. And she tells them just to go through the door without her. She watches as her daughter and replacement Maeve, Mommy, cross through into the sublime. Akechita moves towards her, trying to help Maeve, but she gets shot down by some of the humans. Akechita takes that as his cue and turns around and passes into the sublime just as the rift shuts. And I really liked that. I was like, they better not, like, fuck over Akechita. That would be so... It would be more cliched for him to die, like, a step from the sublime the thing he's been trying to look at to his whole life, it would actually be more surprising, and it was, if he gets through. My favorite Reddit comment from the week was about this scene, and it said, I'm glad Aki and his girlfriend made it into the Windows XP screensaver world together. (laughs) As Aki enters the Valley of the Great Beyond slash the Sublime, he sees Kohana and embraces her, and a truly wonderful moment that would have been ended by Dolores if Bernard didn't let her have her way as he didn't because he shot her in the dome. This was a moment of actual love, eternal love now, if the outside robots or outside people choose the Valley of the Great Beyond to live into eternity, which we all hope that they do. Also in this scene was like a pretty iconic moment I think we'll look back on where Maeve freezes all the hosts in front of her and they free and it looks a little like like a Da Vinci painting. It's just like, you know, the future meeting the past, people she doesn't want to kill, but people she needs to protect her family from. It was an amazing moment. You know, I respect Westworld for the times when they use practical effects. I probably would have used a computer effect for the shot of the frozen hosts because it did kind of look like when you're seeing a musical and everyone tries to stand still, but you can, you know, you can kind of see their arms moving just a tiny bit. It's the same thing as like when I see a person who is supposed to be dead on screen. Like, how are they not breathing? Yeah, this is interesting. Um, They don't just spell it out for us, but what happened is... Maeve had used her abilities to implant Kohana's identity inside of, like, her daughter's programming so that when her daughter crossed into the Sublime, she brought Kohana with her. Maeve seems to be, and she's proven this over and over again, the kind of robot leader that she is is one who believes in justice and 
making your own decisions and being with the people you love. And she goes out of her way to make that happen for her friends. So I like her more. I like her more than Dolores. (laughs) Maeve is able to see the people she was trying to save get into the sublime before it closes. And she dies with a smile on her face is dead, dead. Probably, probably not. She's probably not dead. But right now, she's dead again. Bernard cancels the data deletion that Dolores had started and removes the decryption key. He turns to leave, but we see that the man in black is somewhere in the forge waiting to ambush him. He switches out Peter's encryption key slash his ball with Dolores's, I believe. He takes out Dolores's ball and has it, and Peter Abernathy's dragon ball is currently inside or in the back of Dolores's head. The old Abernathy switcheroo. A tale as old as time. Security members walk through the mass of downed hosts, coup-de-grawing any survivors. Bernard runs into Elsie, saying that he has a plan to save all the hosts. But just then, Charlotte says that a fail-safe measure has been activated, which will flood the valley, and everyone has to leave. Elsie and Bernard, together again... I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Back at the Mesa, Bernard confronts Elsie about having worked with Charlotte Hale, who they both think is evil. Elsie tells him that they need to work with her for now and that she can probably save Bernard so long as they remove his malicious programming put in by Ford. Both Elsie and Bernard are skeptical of Charlotte Hale, once again showing that Elsie's perception of her world is very clear and she doesn't know what's going on and she doesn't know what's wrong, but she knows something about Charlotte Harrell ain't right. Bernard gets really agitated and he tries to approach Elsie, but she freezes him, has him sit down where he can see the map room conveniently and goes to talk with Charlotte. (sighs) Did you know? I knew. I didn't know. Oh, I knew. (laughs) The moment he got sat there and he could see everything, and the moment she went down there, it it hit me right in my bones. Charlotte attempts to seduce Elsie to the dark side. Elsie is pretending like she's okay with that, but Charlotte knows it's a ruse because she has seen Elsie's cognitive profile, revealing that the employees of the park were also being profiled. She knows Elsie isn't amoral enough for this type of work, and so Charlotte kills her on the spot to ensure her silence forever as Bernard watches on helplessly. If Shannon Woodward this offseason does not get a honorary doctorate from a dental school, I will rip, dude. But a lot of things are happening up at this point where we kind of know that like Charlotte Hale in the future should know more than she seems to. And so while I didn't have everything worked out, I was like, okay, well, clearly two weeks from now, Charlotte Hale has been replaced by a host. At some, yeah, she's different now. Because she's been to the forge already. She should know all this. She should know why there's a flood. She's the one who said it. Something just ain't right, James. Detective James is on the, is on the case. In the present, Charlotte realizes that Bernard has hidden the pearl inside of Dolores. And with it, Stran and his team are able to access the forge. Again, the way to access the forge is Peter Abernathy's ball, so makes sense. Plus, Dolores' ball can't be in the back of Dolores. It was with Bernie, and now it's in a mystery place that we're implying 
subtly. Bouncing between timelines again, two weeks ago, Bernard realizes that after Elsie's death, he had chosen the wrong side, and it was wrong of him to try to save humanity. Ford was right all along. He accesses his console to try to return Ford to his mind. Ford appears, and they discuss the nature of humanity and how humanity's drive to survive at all costs, no matter the sacrifice, actually gives them less free will than the hosts have. This show, once again, making the argument that free will is not a real thing, and none of these choices we're making are real, and instilling existential crises into every 30-year-old that's me. Actually, in a last episode, in The Man in Black's Bedroom... He hides his key card in a book, and on that bookshelf is the book Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, a book about a man named Billy who realizes that his free will is an illusion, among other things. That's some weaving. They're making a, a really intricate quilt here. I didn't know Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy were such quiltists. Bernard begs Ford to help get revenge, and Ford says that that plan is already in motion. I'm already working on it, dog. Don't you even sweat. I'm 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 grinding out here. You don't even know. I wrote down in my notes very specifically, the next 20 minutes of this show will prove whether it's a good show, a bad show, a good season or a bad season. Whatever happens from here on out is what matters. Will the show and will this season pull through at the end? In the present, Bernard apologizes to Strand saying that he was forced to make a difficult choice and then scramble his own memories to conceal that choice. The texts are saying that the data transfer isn't going as planned and that the file is way too big. Bernard flashes back to, after Elsie dying, him and Ford building a host version of Charlotte Hale, putting Dolores' control unit inside of it, and then murdering Charlotte Hale. At this point, two weeks later, just as Bernard is remembering this, Dolores Hale goes off and murders Strand and all his men. So, from that point on, and a lot of the Charlotte that we've seen this season, the Charlotte on the beach with Bernie, and that present timeline moving forward, that has been Dolores this whole time. Dolores is very conscious that she's inside Charlotte Hale's body, And Charlotte Hale bit the bullet in a very literal way when she met herself slash, you know, the naked version, Terminator version of herself that's actually Dolores. And Charlotte Hale, while smoking a cigarette, a little like Teresa did, a lot like we first, you know, saw her and or we we see a bunch of people smoking like Teresa did. It's like, is that Teresa? I don't know who might be Teresa, but it hasn't been anyone's been Teresa yet. And in this moment, didn't really matter who Charlotte Hale was, or at least that's what Dolores was making a point of when she shot her and killed her. And we learned we learned some things. Number one, Tessa Thompson is too famous to get naked on HBO. Yep. We only see her butt in season one, which is funny because there are some, you know, big name actors. Like, we saw Superman and Cyclops' butt this season, but apparently, you know, Teddy and Charlotte, too famous to get f- full frontal from either one of them. I, I don't take... Any offense to their choices in that moment. I'm just glad Charlotte Hale is dead. Charloris Hale Bernathy. (laughs) (laughs) 
uploads Teddy's mind into the sublime and then begins transferring the sublime to hidden locations outside the park. Bernard asks him what they'll do next and Dolores says that they can't escape as they are now and shoots him in the head. So Dolores has changed because before she saw the Valley of the Great Beyond as another prison, a place where she would rather murder everybody in there than have exist. And now she puts Teddy into the sublime, a last, you know, virtuous decision for the person that she loves the most. And also maybe getting rid of Teddy as a character and James Marsden on the show. That might be the last time we see him. And it was a truly tragic moment when he was in the sublime and realized what had happened and that Dolores probably wasn't going to meet him there. So he was in eternity in Eden, but without his greatest love. So I think that's the, the definition of tragedy. Bernard walks down to the beach with Ford in tow. And he realizes that this Ford is not the same one he had known before. This is a version that Bernard created out of desperacy. Right, so when Bernie brought him back in the room that was over where Elsie got shot by Charlotte Hale and he tried to break in and bring Ford back to that point and said to, you know, show yourself. From that point on, all of those decisions, including recreating the body of Charlotte Hale, putting Dolores's orb into Charlotte Hale, resurrecting her, and then letting the Charlotte Hale body do whatever she wants to, him scrambling his brain so that he doesn't remember any of this and can't get any of it away, and putting himself on the beach was all Bernard, all of his choices, and he, ostensibly, is now truly conscious. Ford tells him the end of his plan, basically, that he needs to scramble his brains and delete his memories, which may include deleting Ford as well, but that perhaps they one day could meet again, and then Bernard lies down in the spot where season two begins and turns himself on offline. You live as long as the last person who remembers you, and Bernie still remembers Ford. It's going to be hard to wipe that guy what that guy has done to him away, but this felt like a goodbye to Anthony Hopkins and a goodbye to Dr. Robert Ford. And if that's true, if or monuments have been chasing the sea's skyline where the waves, so metaphor, where the Mae metaphor lives that Anthony Hopkins was talking about, if this is the last moment we get to see him, then I say bravo, you dude, you guy. You were real good. The rescue team, two weeks later, are collecting humans for evacuation. Charlotte Dolores arrives and walks past all the dead hosts. She runs into Stubbs, who is suspicious of her sudden departure. As they're talking, one sec team runs up and says, They found another survivor who's in really bad shape. Who could that be? I think it's the man in black. Stubbs at this point more or less confesses that he is a host charged by Ford to protect all of the hosts in the park and not the humans, and so he lets her go. As Charlotte Abernathy is walking up to the Stubbs conversation, she sees Emily's body, Armistice's body, Hector's body, and Maeve's body. 
like you just said, she talks to Ashley Stubbs in a interview about this moment because it was kind of ambiguous. Like he was inferring that he was a robot. He was saying very specific things that let us know he kind of knew he was talking to not Charlotte Hale, was talking to a robot inside Charlotte Hale. We're not sure if he knew it was Dolores, but he knew at least that it was not Charlotte Hale. And making the point that Ford made him and assigned him quality assurance. Joy, in an interview, said, yes, it's safe to assume that he was a robot and there is a future that you can... There's another step further you can assume as well, and we don't say it explicitly, but if you were left wondering with all the Stubbs talk, his knowing talk about I've been at the park a very long time and Ford designed him with certain core drives and he's going to stick to the role he's been programmed with. It's a little acknowledgement of why he might have his suspicions about what's going on with Hale and then lets her pass. And doesn't it make sense if you are Ford and designing a park and you have a whole monster plan about helping robots that you would keep one host hiding in plain sight as a failsafe? Maybe the host who's in charge of quality assurance, perhaps. And by the way, that was totally meant to be subtle. Well, Lisa... You just said it all, so I guess that wasn't very subtle of you. Dolores boards the ship to leave the park. Felix and Sylvester are given the task of sorting through the dead hosts, including Maeve. Which, you know, obviously they're going to bring her back. Right. And Felix has been in a place for a very long time where he's a little Arnold and all of this is fine with him. Like, he's not enjoying what his life has become, probably, but he does think that the robots causes that something to fight for sylvester has gone through an arc as a character in like 20 seconds because earlier in the episode he's like lee just get out there like before lee you know sacrifices himself he's like just get out there say it's you get help for you and then get help for us and then sylvester and felix have to watch what happens at the valley of the great beyond door and all of the hosts killing themselves because Clem makes them do so because because Hale makes them do so. And so we don't really get to say explicitly that Sylvester's changed his mind, but in that moment when he sees Maeve and is tasked along with Felix to bring back the host that he chooses, it feels like he's going to bring her back because like Lee, he now respects Maeve than he did previously. As the boat, Gets further away from the park, Dolores checks the bag she's got on her, and it's full of host control units. Like, a bunch. There are five, to be exact. One of them is definitely Bernie, because of a thing that happens in the future. Another is almost definitely Peter, because she bagged that thing. She has that as well. And then there are three more orbs, and one of those orbs is going to be used at the end of this episode. We don't know which one. But yeah, there are three more, and we don't exactly know who those people are. But not it's not Teddy, right? Because Teddy is in the Valley of the Great Beyond. So, Yeah, it could be Clementine. Could be, um, well, no, I, I mean, I guess Angela blew up, so probably not her. Right, yeah, she's disintegrated. Maybe Lars? God, I, I don't know how it would happen, but I hope it's Lars. Sometime later... Dolores is interviewing Bernard again, having rebuilt him outside in the real world. She tells him that together, they and Ford have completed Arnold's dream, and that the hosts will live on in secret. Bernard vows to thwart her plans of human genocide, and she said that won't stop her from freeing him, 
since perhaps both their efforts will be necessary to ensure the long-term survival of hosts, even if they're enemies. Hi, X-Men. This is Westworld. Uh, where are you now? Is that cool? No, no, that's not cool at all. Sick, 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 sick. Bye, X-Men. Dolores leaves along with the Charlotte Hale host, which is now somebody else. One of those five balls. Which one would it be? It's definitely not Bernie. It could be Peter. And it could be three other mystery robots. Bernard explores Arnold's house for a bit, pausing at the photo of Charlie, examining a host creation lab before leaving himself. Radiohead's codex is playing, and it affirms two things. One, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy really like Radiohead. And two, Radiohead songs sound good in Westworld. In an after-credits scene... The man in black limps into the forge, but it's totally empty and desecrated, and it's like a ruin. So this is some very long time in the future. Right, so we we lost the man in black somewhere in the middle there, right? He gets on yeah. an elevator and goes down into the forge. And then there's this point where Bernie gets back in the elevator to go upwards, and we think as an audience that he's going to run into the man in black. But he doesn't. So at that point, the timelines are divergent. And we don't know what happened in that timeline between then and when the man in black gets picked up on the beach as one of the, like the guys who's really messed up. So that's a, a moment in time, or at least a part of the timeline that we as an audience haven't seen yet. And this post credit scene, obviously very, very far in the future, a what we believe to be a host version of Emily pops out and... The man in black, like it was, you know, like the present timeline, reacts like, ugh, of course. I knew Emily wasn't dead and that you're here. But, uh, psych, she's, she's super dead. He runs into Emily and he worries that this is some kind of weird Matrix simulation, but she assures him this is the real world. She walks him through a series of changing rooms till they get to James Delos's original fidelity room. She asks him how long he's been thinks he's been here and he isn't sure she asks him what he's been looking for and he replies he's just been looking for a choice and some proof that no system can control him they sit down and begin a fidelity test much to william's horror so that implies that this is a host version of emily and a host version of the man in black it also implies that the version of man in black that was on that elevator and then we don't know what happened to the point where he's on the beach is still a human being he's not a robot like he perhaps thinks he was for some period of time the man in black we've been watching is a person emily his daughter the person he killed really got killed the reason the emily host is there with him in the future is because that's his cornerstone like james dallas's cornerstone kept coming back to the moment in which he shot logan down before you know six months before he overdosed and didn't help him the man in black keeps coming back to the moment in which he killed his own daughter that haunts him and that's why the manifestation host that's asking him questions in front of him is emily so this was an amazing episode i don't know if it was as good as the finale of season one but still really great i i'm still amazing 
to me that they make this episode so final. I feel like they had a lot of room to like leave shit wide open, kind of the way a season finale of Game of Thrones does, but they didn't. They sewed up so much stuff, and there are places to go, but there aren't really hanging threads other than the Men in Black I mean, thing. I, I disagree slightly just because there is now a Bernie versus Dolores in the real world. Maeve is going to be still in the parks or in the Mesa. They've insinuated that in the future seasons, we're going to get to see the other three parks and Maeve will probably be the one to show us going through that park. Like Dolores and Bernie fighting for the real world while Maeve fights for control over a new Delos consortium in the parks and, and them fighting for power, but in two different places and with two different sets of, risks and level of risk so you know i look forward to seeing the new parks i look forward to mave's internal struggle and how she chooses to rule her new world hopefully and i the 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 civil war we thought was going to happen mave versus dolores isn't what happened and it's not what's going to happen it seems it's going to be bernie versus dolores but now they're in the real world and they have a lab and they have information on all these people. A competitive advantage, as it said earlier in this episode. So, you know, I think the destruction of all humankind while Bernie tries to stop Dolores is enticing. And I look forward to seeing it. We have some tweets today, reactions mostly, to the banger of an episode. At Andy Sachs has some thoughts saying... I see Maeve and Dolores as sort of sisters, both being the favorite of their creators. Will we see a fave daughter versus fave daughter? I'm also seeing the force battle between Maeve and Dolores. Yeah, I wonder how Maeve is going to play into seasons after this. Because she's kind of got left behind by Dolores and Bernard a little bit. Right, like we just said, I think she's going to be a beacon of hope slash a leader within Westworld while Dolores tries to be the robot overlord of the outside world. And they will probably meet again, but it will be under very, very different circumstances that if we even tried to guess, we probably wouldn't know. But it seems to be the actual battle will be Bernie versus Dolores in the real world. And Dolores didn't even need that battle. She like brought Bernie back. They've resurrected each other so many times. But yeah, uh, Maeve versus Dolores... Bowl 2026. At Lely 092, if the man in black ends up being a robot, I am so done with this show. Well, then I have great news. Yeah. He's not a robot. <laughs> or he is at the same time. He's, he's not a robot up until he is a robot, but we don't even see when the man in black slash William dies. That's that. So there are questions to be asked, but whoo. Not a robot. Dean Wallman at D Wall M says, just throwing this theory out here, the whole series is a take on King Lear, with Ford offering his kingdom as a contest to his three children, Dolores, Maeve, and Akechita. I like that. That's a cool I idea. I like that too, and now we know Akechita is within the sublime, so he might be gone forever. Maeve is still fighting in the park while Dolores is fighting outside the park. I really like the King Lear reference. Because, you know, Shakespeare and and the Bible are probably the things referenced the most, or at least like the the literature referenced the most. And perhaps like, I don't know, like 
Radiohead record lyric books. Brettual F at Brettual says, Love your theory, dudes. I'm thinking this is for more season three or season four, though. I guess he's referencing a theory. Right, he was talking about the Space Jam theory that we sent Uh, to uh, Westworld Theorycast. Westworld Theorycast is another Westworld podcast, and they put together a uh, a complete, like, people were just making their theories. Different Westworld podcasts were making their theories for what they thought the season finale was going to be. I didn't really read the instructions well enough, and I just sent our Space Jam thing that we did about what I thought was going to be the last scene of the last season in episode eight. And this guy was saying that, yeah, maybe that might be season three or season four, the way this is going. So thank you very much. Westworld theory cast for putting that, uh, for putting that, you know, collective podcast together. It was really cool to listen to. I got to listen to a bunch of the other podcasts I've never actually heard before. It was really neat. Lee at Lee Lee 92 again says, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I can't believe it's coming to an end. Sad, ugly tears. Yeah, I mean, when this season is on, we have such a good time doing this. It's like, it's kind of sad when the season's over. Like, what are we going to watch and talk about? I have some ideas, and we need to come up with some things to keep the Westworld podcast a going last time we did a western movie club we've been talking about doing a robot movie club we've been talking about the possibility of doing the recap and review to the game of thrones episode uh season eight but i have i have feelings about that i'm not sure if i want to do it i I, i'm on the fence about it because of the way how much i love that show Uh, but yeah we're definitely going to be doing more things but it's super sad i i I just you know it's we're at, we're going full bore when the season's in. It's a it's a fun feeling that uh, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna miss. Lauren at very lovely LJ had a lot of things to say about the season finale. Oh, I like when she compared the Sublime to Xanadu. Yeah, <laughs> that was a nice reference. Uh, but I, I want to read one. She says, "My biggest complaint about this season is Dolores is just doing stuff, and the audience have no idea why she is so motivated to act the way she does." Maeve, I got it, I understood, and even Ketchita, I understood. He said he gave himself a new drive. Dolores, I'm a murderer. She Again, she quotes Dolores, Bruh, I changed my mind because reasons. <laughs> well, I mean, she changed her mind because Bernard didn't have to resurrect her that time, and he did. He chose to himself. He thought Ford was having him choose, but nope, it was it was him who made the next step and made the Charlotte Hale body and put Dolores into it and and made all of this able to occur. Dolores knows the only reason she's out in the real world is because of Bernard, which is why she puts so much time and effort into making her own enemy. So, uh, it like like you know, people have been weird about Dolores this entire season. She's made some weird weird decisions and now we know that charlotte hale was dolores for a lot of the time too so a lot of the time we were seeing charlotte hale being annoying it was also dolores she's a robot overlord with a mixed sense of morality and she is maybe not getting it right but she's at least getting closer to what she believes is her version of actual justice so while she's annoying she's also now fighting a war in the real world which i think is going to be fun to watch so we will be talking more in depth about season two, I am sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe. yeah. I yeah. We're uh we should probably <laughs> do a season two retrospective. That should be the next thing that we try to do. Uh maybe let us know if you want us to have guests. 
Let us know if you just want it to be James and I talking about the whole se- the season as a whole. Uh, yeah, there was a lot to unpack and a lot to like put up against season one and, and then have a full conversation about what is in between the man in black being on that beach and then being in the forge talking to a robot version of his daughter. So thanks for listening. If you do just listen, it means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter at Westworld Ryan. You can follow us on SoundCloud. If you're really cool, you could leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. And if you want to help support the show, which Ryan and I underwrite in uh, all the financial ways because it's a fan podcast, we uh, take on the financial burden of that, you can support us at our Patreon. We love everybody who ever sends us anything, and we love reading what people think, and we just want to talk to you about this show because it's insane, and we've all been putting a lot of time and effort into figuring out how it actually was and, and like, what happened. So, let's talk about what happened. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And that's a wrap on season two, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Woo! And this is the West World Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.